The sermon passage this morning is from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. So now, Father, we ask you to teach us your word. We believe your word indeed is true. Indeed, that in it is life. Indeed, in it is joy. Indeed, in your word is blessing. So, Father, we pray you would teach us your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just say again how good it is to see all of you with us this morning. Uh, if you haven't, please take your Bible and turn over to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. Uh, here at Redeemer, we are working our way through, um, we're not working our way through, we are spending the next few months in the Psalms and considering um, some of the great reality and truth that is in the Psalms. If you're new to them, the Psalms are really a collection of prayers, a collection of songs, a collection of worship, a collection of approach to God. And so what we're yearning for is for all of us to, to meet with God in these songs and in these prayers and particularly have the way that we worship, the way that we pray, the way that we speak to God addressed through them. You know, um, here at Redeemer, we have a, a conviction um, to preach sermons that say what the Bible says. Uh, you've probably um, heard a, a sermon along the way where someone kind of read a Bible verse and dove off of it like a diving board to never come back to it again. And I was reminded of how important that conviction is this week because when I chose Psalm 2, why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? I had some particularly pointed contemporary things that I wanted to say. Um, but what I realized as I studied the psalm this week is that's not what David's talking about at all. David's not really talking about nations, and he's not really talking about politics, and he's not really talking about how countries relate to countries. What David's talking about here is how God is going to unfold his plan through a chosen son who will bring all peoples from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue to himself. And our calling is to align ourselves with God's chosen son and his kingdom and to pursue his kingdom above all else. So this sermon this morning is entitled Allegiance. Allegiance. 
And ultimately, I believe what Psalm 2, in light of the totality of the Bible, calls us to is allegiance to Jesus Christ, God's chosen Son, who will bring about God's kingdom work in all the earth. God's going to do it. He's inviting us to be a part of it with him. The psalm is a reminder that the Lord will accomplish his work and an invitation for us to join him in his work as we identify with his son. Now, let me see if I can show you that that's what is coming from this psalm. So for my note-taking friends, first point is David, Israel, and the nations. David, Israel, and the nations. And so by that, I mean David, King David, who was the chosen king of Israel at a particular point in time rooted in our Old Testament history. Israel being uh, a nation of God's people for God's possession, which he raised up to reach the nations. Um, The father of Israel, God told that he would raise him up so that all the nations of the earth be blessed through him. So this psalm, Psalm chapter 2, was written at a particular time, at a particular place, to a particular group of people to communicate a particular message. And so before we get into what might this mean for us, I think it's really important for us to understand how this psalm was written and how it was interpreted. So first of all, Unlike many of the Psalms, you'll notice, um, like, for example, Psalm chapter 3, if you wanted to turn over one page, it says a Psalm of David, meaning that David was clearly the author of that Psalm. This one, Psalm 2, doesn't tell us that. So we might be left to say, who's writing Psalm 2? But thankfully, um, God cleared that up for us in Acts chapter 4 and verse 25 we are, there is a quote from Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and it's attributed to David, as David said. So God in his word has made it clear to us that this psalm was written by David. And at this particular time, David is the king over Israel. So he is God's chosen king over God's chosen nation to bring God's blessings to the ends of the earth. So at this particular time, David is the king over Israel with the desired goal of bringing God's blessings to the ends of the earth. Okay, That's what's going on as David writes this psalm. One little bit, I promise this is not going to be grammar class, and some of you are like, man, I did not come to church today for Old Testament 101. But, but bear with me because this is really important. Is throughout the Old Testament, there is this idea that the chosen messenger of God's work and blessing to his people is called God's son. So there is one sense in which Jesus is the only unique son of God. But as we read through the Old Testament, David is called the son of God and Solomon is called the son of God. And it's not to say that they 
physically proceeded from God as much as it is, is a way to say that they were God's chosen blessing and messenger to bring God's work and God's ministry to his people. So at this particular time, David is the king over Israel. Israel is flourishing and some of the nations who are under Israel's reign, it was God's purpose that they would be blessed and be brought into God's ways through this work. But some of those under Israel's reign are raging against God, raging against David, raging against God's Messiah, and they want to be delivered. They do not want to be under the authority of the Lord, and they do not want to be under the authority of God's anointed one, God's chosen one. So the way this psalm flows then is you have in verses 1 through 3 a question, why do the nations rage? Why do the nations not want to be under the authority of the Lord and the authority of his anointed? And why are they doing everything they can to free themselves from the authority of the Lord and the authority of his anointed? That's what's going on in verses 1 through 3 is a question is being asked, okay? And it's important, I think, that we understand the tone of voice of this question, okay? The importance of the tone of voice of this question is not why in the sense of could you explain to me what's going on, right? Because God knows what's going on, and David knows what's going on. The tone of voice, I believe, of the why do the nations rage is like when you look at your child whom you've just made this perfect meal for them, and you place it in front of them, and they pick up their plate and throw it on the floor in front of you. You know that, you know that moment, that feeling? Yeah, come on, yeah. Why? Why do you not see the flower on my outfit from where I made that for you? Do you not see the sweat and the hours that I poured into that? Why? Why would you do it? Did you not feel the love and the concern and the care and the compassion for your joy and for your well-being when I made that perfect steak for you? Why? That's the tone of voice here. It's not like, could you explain to me what's going on? Because God clearly knows what's going on. It's not like, could you explain to me what you're up to? Because God clearly knows that they're revolting against his leadership, his authority, and his ways because they are in sin and rebellion and they don't want his good ways. He knows that. But the question of why is, 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 is that, that question of, really? Why? Why? It doesn't have to be this way. Many scholars actually believe that we should read Psalm 1 and 2 as one piece, right? One, one piece. And if we do that, here's what you get. Blessed is the man who walks in the way of the Lord. There is a better way than to walk in the counsel of the wicked. The man who walks in the way of the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that it does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, 
but they're like chaff that the wind blows away. So we've just started with God's good way is better. So why, nations? Why do you kick against the goads? Why do you revolt against the Lord and against his anointed and against the goodness and blessing that he has for his people? Why? And to the question then, verses 4, 5, and 6, we're told that he who sits in the heavens laughs. So in these verses, the Lord, we get a little insight into to, to what's going on with the Lord. And what I find very interesting here is the Lord is not threatened in one little bit about the nations raging against him and his Messiah, his chosen one, his anointed one. He knows what will be. He knows that there will be a day of reckoning. And he knows, verse 6, that he has put his king in his place at his time to accomplish his purposes, and his purposes will stand. So the Lord, we see, is not threatened one little bit by this rebellion of the nations. Then David, the anointed son, speaks. And he speaks by reminding himself of what the Lord has promised. This is verses 7, 8, and 9. He says, The Lord said to me, You're my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So notice how David responds to the rage of the nations. God's word stands. And because God's word stands, I stand in confidence. So there's the question... Why the rebellion? The Lord is confident that his work, his ministry, his plan will be accomplished. David, the chosen son, is confident that God will keep his word and that his plan and his work will be accomplished. And then, verses 10, 11, and 12, the nations are told what they need to do. So this message is taken And it's applied for those nations which are raging against God. Here's what they're told. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So notice what's said to these nations and these kings and these rulers who are rebelling against God. Number one, be warned. Be warned. God will vindicate himself. He will vindicate his son. He will exalt his name and he will accomplish his purposes. Be warned if you stand in his way. Second, serve the Lord with fear. It would be best to join God in pursuing his work through his anointed one. 
Rejoice with trembling. Rejoice that you know the Lord. Rejoice that He has made you and sustained you and brought you into His work in the world. Fourth, kiss the Son. It's just an odd phrase in English, isn't it? Like, what are we supposed to do with that? Kiss the Son? <laughs> what? What? Here we are at church, talking about kissing. Basically, this is a hard Hebrew phrase, which means honor the Son. Honor the chosen messenger. And then here's the invitation. As we go right back to the beginning. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. So here's the picture for David, Israel, and the nations. God has set up his messenger David over his people whose goal is to bring his blessing to the ends of the earth. The nations are revolting against God's work. And what we see in this psalm is the Lord standing in confidence that these kings cannot thwart his plan. He calls us to have equal confidence in him. We see David, the chosen one, exuding great confidence that the Lord will keep his word to him and that he will be a piece of how God brings his blessing to the ends of the earth. And then we see those who are revolting against the Lord and his messenger and his way being warned to turn, to follow after him, to join him in his work, and particularly to do so by honoring the chosen one through whom God's blessings will come to the ends of the earth and only through him. This was the invitation of the psalm. Now, I guess we could end right there and say, that's a good history lesson for us today. God put David over Israel. Israel was to be a blessing to the nations. God called people to identify and to follow after him through the work of his chosen messenger. But if you've read the Bible at all, here's what you know. David and his future sons, they failed miserably. They failed miserably. Israel, they failed miserably. See, David and his physical descendants immediately after him did not bring all of God's blessings to all of the peoples of the earth in an eternal way where all of God's word would be fulfilled. But what happened was from David in the plan of God, Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, who was the son of God, who was born of a virgin, came and he became the final son, the final chosen one, who would, through him, through him, God would build his kingdom and God would Bring his blessings to the nation. So second point for my note-taking friends is God, his Messiah, and the kingdom. And what we need to know is David was intended 
only to be a picture of what was to come. David was merely human. And so God promised a son, a last son, a last messenger, a last anointed one, a last Messiah who would come and would bring all of God's blessings to all the nations in such a way that God would be exalted, his word would be fulfilled, his adversaries would be destroyed, and his son would be exalted. And what Jesus claimed was he was that one. So we fast forward many years. In Israel... In a future time, a man named Jesus was born of a virgin, a woman named Mary. And this Jesus rose up, and what happened in his life is he showed himself to be the anointed son of God who would finally bring all of these blessings to bear to the ends of the earth. Unless you think I'm reading too much into this, let's just be very aware of how the story of Jesus unfolded. Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 2. So if you go to where the New Testament begins, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are four stories of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 2. What we see there is God telling Mary, that was the mother of Jesus, and Joseph, that was the husband of Mary, that he was going to send his his son through them to bring God's kingdom, God's blessings to the nations through this particular son. Then we go to Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and following. Some of you know the story, some of you don't, but this Jesus grew up to become a man. Some 30-ish years later, Jesus goes and was baptized by a man named John the Baptist. And do you remember what happened when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist? We're told in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, that when Jesus was baptized, immediately he came up out of the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So what was said of Jesus? He's God's beloved Son. Later in the life and ministry of Jesus, he would go up on a mountain. This is in Matthew chapter 17. He would go up on a mountain with two of his disciples named Peter and John. And while on that mountain, they saw the glory of Jesus as the Son of God. And in that moment, Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. Do you see what's going on here? Jesus The Son of God came to say that what's promised in Psalm 2 is really about me. 
What's promised in Psalm 2 is going to finally and definitively and unquestionably come to pass through me. So it was David king over Israel with the purpose of reaching the nations. And David failed and Israel failed except that Jesus came from them. And now here is Jesus saying, God is going to work to build his kingdom through me. And the kingdom that he's building through me will last forever. And every nation, every language, every tribe, every tongue will be blessed through me. And so based on New Testament authority, Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 17, Acts chapter 4 verses 23 through 28, Hebrews chapter 1 and chapter 2, based upon that authority and its appropriation of Psalm chapter 2, it's appropriate to read Psalm 2 and think of Jesus. It's appropriate to read Psalm 2 and say that when David wrote through God, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. That David was ultimately thinking of Jesus because the New Testament tells us that Jesus is the completion of Psalm 2 and verse 12. And in Psalm 2 and verse 7, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. It is appropriate to read that and think of Jesus as the son begotten from God who will bring God's blessing to the nations. Jesus is the one. And so it is is appropriate then to read this psalm through the lens of Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the chosen one. And what Jesus came to do was to build a kingdom, to build a people. We're going to talk about that kingdom in a minute because it's very, very different from Israel. Israel was a physical kingdom with a physical nation state, with a physical king and a physical capital that would bring, that would spread physically. But this ministry of Jesus, this kingdom of Jesus, which he came to build, has proven to be one that is very different from any nation. The kingdom of Jesus is all of those who align themselves with him, who align themselves with his ministry, his work, his blessing, and say, in him we want to be a part of God's kingdom coming to the nations. It transcends the United States of America and Mexico and Canada and the United Kingdom and all of Africa and all of Asia. It transcends every bit of that because Jesus is building a kingdom that's not defined by its physical domain, but it's defined by its allegiance to him. So it's appropriate for us to read this psalm and see Jesus as the answer to it. 
And so I told you that based on how it begins, why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? And then at the end, these warnings that all those who don't are who don't belong to the Son, who don't kiss the Son, who don't serve the Lord, are going to be destroyed. It was very easy to look at this and think in terms of geopolitical things because we're talking about geopolitical things. But the more we think about this, the more we realize that the geopolitical things were part of a picture. Because the only way to teach us what a kingdom is is to think about a king and those who follow him. And it's part of why when Jesus came, he was misunderstood. It's part of why when Jesus came, everyone wondered when was he going to set up the geopolitical thing with him as the physical king so that they could physically belong to him. It's part of why they missed it. But what's really going on here is not, I don't think, anything about geopolitics. What I think is going on here is God making very clear that it's through his son that his work in the world will be accomplished. And that through his son and his son alone, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And those who align with the son will walk in the blessing of the son. And those who reject the son will receive the, the fruits of rejecting the son. That's the point of this psalm. And some of you might be like, dude, why didn't you just say that like 25 minutes ago? We had to build, I think we had to build up to it and, and go through the path of David and Israel. Go through the path of David's failure and Israel's failure to then get to the point of Jesus coming and saying, I'm the greater David. I'm the greater Israel. My kingdom is what is going to be built through me and through those who align with me. This passage is an invitation to know God through Christ. It's an invitation. Hold on, my iPad fell asleep. Wake up. There we go. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to come and to say that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, indeed is the Son of God who will bring God's blessings and God's kingdom to God's world for all time. It's through Jesus that this will happen. And therefore, our call is to make our ultimate allegiance to Jesus. And so third point is a matter of allegiance. A matter of allegiance. And that this really in this point is what do we do with this reality? The invitation is this. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalm chapter 2, verse 12. The invitation is that to take refuge in Jesus by recognizing him as God's savior, God's bringer of blessing, and to trust him and believe in him and identify with him and follow him and serve him and rejoice in him and to pay homage to him is the good way. 
It's the way in which we are a part of the good that God is going to do for all of eternity. And it's the way that we are delivered from our sin and our condemnation and our death. The invitation is to give all of our allegiance to Jesus. You see, it's really easy to weigh and to measure and to understand physical allegiance to physical kings and physical kingdoms, right? Random country, I don't know, America. Political structure. It's really easy to weigh our allegiance, right? Like, are we with our king, our country, our leader, or are we against them, right? You know, we can go into our, our, our work tomorrow and the boss can stand up and say, our company's going this way. Who's with me and who's against me? And we can make it a very physical identification and physical demarcation, right? The kingdom of Jesus is not a physical one. It doesn't have boundaries. It doesn't have map lines and grids and ways to move in and out of it physically. The kingdom of Jesus is entered through allegiance to Jesus. The kingdom of Jesus is not measured by where we live or, or how we give, but it's measured by our allegiance to Jesus. And so the question for us today is not, am I a part of a church? Am I a part of this church? Am I a part of this particular thing that we identify with Jesus? The question is, have I given my ultimate allegiance to Jesus? That's the question. So much so that when my ultimate allegiance to Jesus causes me to downplay my allegiance to my country, I'm willing to do it because Jesus is the king and he wins. When I'm, when I'm called upon to downplay my allegiance to my net worth because my net worth and my allegiance to Jesus in this moment are contrary to one another and I'm going to choose my allegiance to Jesus, which one will I choose? Because in the kingdom, Jesus gets our allegiance. When how I want to spend my Saturday evening is challenged by how allegiance to Jesus would call upon me to spend my Saturday evening, what choice will I make? Because in the kingdom, allegiance to Jesus wins. When whom I befriend and spend time with is challenged by a calling to allegiance to Jesus, Am I willing to choose the kingdom and the work and the ministry of Jesus over that which makes me most comfortable? When my favorite sin is challenged by allegiance to the kingdom of Jesus, am I willing to prayerfully set that sin aside to, to follow Jesus and obey him and serve him? Look, we've been fed a lie that what God really wants is for us to be happy and satisfied in this world. So here's another one. When my 
temporary happiness is threatened by the call of allegiance to Jesus, am I willing to sacrifice that to to bear fruit of aligning with Jesus? Psalm 2, I believe, is about our allegiance. So I'll be really clear, I don't have any problems with allegiance to country. That's actually a good thing. If it is subjected to our allegiance to Jesus. I don't necessarily have a problem with allegiance to a political party if it is subjected to our allegiance to Jesus. I don't have a problem with net worth. I really hope that mine's not negative. I'll go home and check. But am I willing to have my net worth challenged based upon allegiance to Jesus? And on, I don't think safe schools and safe kids and safe things are bad, but am I willing to have my safety challenged for the purpose of allegiance to Jesus? I don't think suburbs are necessarily sinful or else we need to shut down and move out, right? But, but when our suburban utopia is, is threatened by allegiance to the kingdom of Jesus, are we willing to follow after Jesus and not that which makes us most comfortable? Can I just tell you what I think? I think most of our I'm not talking about the church. I'm just talking about it at large. Most of the things we argue about, money, politics, way of life, schooling, whether or not you should breastfeed your children, what type of baby food you should have, how organic your diet should be, how many times a week you should work out. I believe that almost all of that is a bunch of empty hot air by which we try to preserve what we want and make others do what we want to. So are we willing to put all that rhetoric down and say what matters most is our allegiance to Jesus? Perhaps I'm oversimplifying life. I don't think so because I think the question that I'm putting in front of you is one that will haunt you this afternoon if you take it seriously. I think it's one that will cause you to pray and cause you to deliberate and cause you to think, Lord, am I willing to follow after Christ no matter the cost. It's my ultimate allegiance to Jesus. And if you want to do that, let me give you two very tangible things that you can do. And then I promise we'll be done. Number one, you can pray. Father, I want my ultimate allegiance to be to Jesus. A Psalm 2.12 says, I want to be found paying homage to the Son, because I believe that all who take refuge in him are blessed. Would you help me? If you want to be really bold, then add to the end of that prayer, would you ravage me where I need to be ravaged so that I can change? You can pray something like that. Second, you can take up your Bible, okay? And every time that the Bible talks about what God desires... 
Or one of the most used phrases in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts is this phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of Jesus. Every time Jesus talks about his kingdom, would you recognize that what allegiance to Jesus means is wanting that more than what we might have now? And so we can go and we can open up our Bible and everything that's there by way of command and by way of desire is a way to say, let's pursue this kingdom together. We have lots of time to talk about the the how-tos and lots of time to talk about the details. But what Psalm 2 is challenging us with is this question. Where does my ultimate allegiance And I want us to wrestle with it today. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your kindness. Thank you that you've spoken this hard word so that we could hear it today. Lord, I'm praying over these, your people, that you would do the work that you need to do in us and through us and for us so that our lives would be holy, consistently, joyfully, faithfully seeking after your son Jesus and the kingdom that he's building. And Lord, we pray that where we fail, you would be with us. We pray that where we need to be comforted in your grace, you would cover us in it. And we pray that where we need to be convicted, you would break us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.